This is Mental Maps, a podcast about navigating the mind. My name is Dr. Josh Waddell. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, mental health counselor, and host of this show. The content of this show is focused on creating a better understanding about the mind and how you can achieve optimal well-being. Welcome back to Mental Maps. I hope this finds you well. I know whatever season that you're in, I believe this is going to be very applicable to your life. We are just honored to have a guest with us today, a professor and clinical psychologist and author, Dr. Alan Godwin. Alan, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a joy to be with you. It is, it is an honor. So um, just we'll kind of jump into this. So Dr. Godwin has wrote a couple different books, but it all really spans around the concept of people problems. And so about eight years ago, I came in contact with his first book, How to Solve People Problems from a Mentor of Mine. And it's not only been very important in my clinical practice, but also use it a lot in my life. And I thought it was a great opportunity to kind of sit down and begin to understand some of the intricacies that go into people problems. And so as we jump into this, Dr. Godwin, what are people problems? Like, like what are they? <laughs> Uh, most of us don't need a definition of that because we run into them all the time. Um, yeah, I, I, um, just to back up a little bit and tell you how I got interested in, yes, in, in this to begin with, I, I'm, doing, I'm a psychologist in private practice, been doing this for about 32 years and, um, just had a lot of couples come in over the years who, um, are in my office because they, uh, or just not getting along and, and, uh, but they don't know why they're not getting along necessarily. They just maybe know the flame has gone out or, um, they can't resolve things. And so, um, uh, one of the questions I usually ask toward the end of the session is, uh, you know, so what, what would you like for this to do for you? And, uh, usually the, the answer is something in, along the lines of we'd like to work things out. And then I'll ask them, so do you know what that, how in your mind's eye, what does that entail? And most of the time they don't have an answer to that question or they're through answering in about 30 seconds. At a couple one time, she was a physician and he was an educator. So I'm obviously very bright people. And I asked them, you know, um, what would you like for this to do? She said, we'd like to work things out. And I said, what does that mean? And just like that, she said, I have no idea. So, you know, very bright person, but really ignorant when it comes to knowing how to resolve things. So, you know, my view is everybody's imperfect. You know, we all have our flaws and our quirks and our foibles. And uh, you might not even know what those are until you get in close to somebody. And and once you get in close, that's when your flaws become real evident. And um, I, I, I tell people all the time, when you get married, you marry a full length mirror. So it's in that mirror that you see reflected all of your warts and, and all of your, your uh, downsides and uh, all of your, your negatives. And people are attracted to each other's positives, but they encounter their negatives when they get in close. But, but you might not encounter those until you're, you're in a close relationship. And when, those, when um, those negatives come into play in the close relationship, that's when you have what I call people problems. You know, they're, they're now problems that occur between the two of us that need resolution but most people don't know how to resolve those things and so they just kind of stay stuck in that mode of non-resolution until they get frustrated and then they come see somebody like me you know saying you know what what do we do about this so yeah, so what i hear in that you run into people you, you run into problems 
where wherever there are homo sapiens, you know, they're just <laughs> you run into them. You run into them at work. Uh, you run into them if people are churchgoers. They run into them there. Run family gatherings, and uh, I told somebody one one time I've seen a lot of people at my office over the years who come in because of work stress, but they never come in complaining about the widget machine that they can't get to work. Yeah. They come yeah. in complaining about the guy running the widget machine, you know, yeah. so it's just about always the people issues that, that are front and center on somebody's brain. So, <laughs> so we just run into them and, and the, the closer you are to someone, the more likely it is that you're going to have problems. So it sounds like that, you know, really any, any type of people problem is solely based on relationships. So whenever there's homo sapiens, uh, we're always going to be in relationships. You know, we think about it in the context of marriage or boyfriend, girlfriend, romantic type things, yeah. but it's anywhere. So at work in yeah. family, at home, um, you know, at the coffee shop, the people you see on a regular basis, any place that can yeah. be there. And so when we think about the problem itself, then like, where do these problems come from? Like, why do we as humans find ourselves in these experiences? Yeah. Um, well, I guess the basic answer to that would be that we're, none of us are perfect. You know, we, we all, we're all flawed and, um, you know, from, from the, um, uh, kind of in the Christian world, the way that would be voiced is we're, we've all sinned and fall, fallen short. Um, if somebody didn't like that way of phrasing it, you could look at the philosopher, uh, Immanuel Kant. And one time he said, uh, from the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. Mm. And I, I just, I love that way of phrasing it. And you know, cause it's like the, the tree of humanity has a crook in it and you cut a board out of that tree, any place that's going to reflect that crook. So we're all flawed. Um, feeling like either one of those, you could go to Charlie Brown, you know, what <laughs> time he said, I, I love mankind. It's humanity. I can't stand. Uh, uh, Mark Twain said, I, uh, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. So <laughs> I hear that sometimes. So yeah, yeah people have talked about this for years. I mean, yeah. it's just an old ancient concept to, to reflect the, uh, the flaws in humanity. And so if one person who is flawed gets close to another person who is flawed, it's like they've got rough edges. They're going to rough up, run up, uh, rub up against each other and they're going to, it's going to create friction. So the only thing you have to do to have a people problem is get close to somebody, hmm. which, which is kind of a dilemma because we all want to be close. You know, we're all kind of wired for attachment, but with closeness comes conflict. And, um, and so that sounds like bad news, but the good news is if you, if you find ways to work through your conflict, then you can actually get closer. And hmm. so but that's what I was finding in, in people I was talking to in my office is, they want to be close to each other, but they don't know how to work out the problems that come with closeness. And so they're stuck. And so, um, that's, again, that's kind of what motivated me to put some of this in writing uh, yeah. years ago. So it sounds like, you know, we have these, we all have these imperfections, you know, all the way back through, through Christian culture, from the Bible, even, you know, through that, any type of thing we see that we're all flawed. And then with these yeah. flaws come conflict. And so is it that, you know, conflict is inevitable and it's just part of life? Or is it that when we have these problems that we're just kind of bad at conflict and we find ourselves just falling into conflict that we don't need to be in? Yeah. 
Well, I'd say yes to both those questions. I mean, it, 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 it's always going to come up. There, there is no such thing as relationships without conflict. Um, uh, the only people who don't have conflict are monks who live in monasteries. <laughs> you know, so if, if you're going to have relationships, you're going to have conflict. It just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a lot of people, it's a very common statement for somebody to make to say, oh, man, I, I just hate conflict. I just try to avoid it like the plague. Yeah. Well, good luck with that, because if you're going to have relationships, you're going to have conflict. So I think a lot of people look at it as um, I want to have relationships, but I just want to try to avoid all the conflict. Well, what that means is the only way you can do that is, is keep your distance. And so you're not going to be very close to somebody. So the the choice I tell people this all the time, the choice that you have is not between conflict and no conflict. The choice that you have is between the bad kind of conflict and the good kind of conflict. Mm. And, and there is such a thing as good conflict, but that sounds very oxymoronic to most people. You know, yeah. I mean, how can something be good that we all know is bad? It's like saying good leprosy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> So it's just inherently bad. What, what can be good about it? But there is such a thing as handling conflict in such a way that it has a good outcome, which means that you actually can be close to somebody because you can resolve things along the way that come up. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, I got out of your book and something I use in my own life. So the concept of good conflict and bad conflict, I believe in your book, you talk about how good conflict is an attempt to solve a problem and bad mm-hmm. conflict is an attempt to prove your own rightness. And I remember that I had this exact experience. I think my wife and I, we'd been married maybe a year uh, and we hadn't lived together before. So we're kind of figuring it all out and we're having this argument uh, at the time and we're going back and forth. And I remember going to this place of like, I have no idea what we're fighting about right now. And I'm pretty sure I'm just trying to prove my own rightness. And I just right. like set it out. I was like, I'm just trying to prove my own rightness and walk downstairs. Yeah. And I'll never forget that to this day. And, and I think when you're, when you say that, it makes sense, but could you dive a little bit deeper into what makes conflict good compared to what makes conflict bad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a big peer group. If, if you, if you had that experience, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a very common experience. People will get into the middle of an argument and go, what, what, what are we fighting about? They can't even remember, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, here, here's a, here's kind of a quick bumper sticker summary a bad conflict, and that is you'll either blow up or shut up. Mm. And so, you know, when people uh, get into conflict situations, um, uh, everybody has what sort of the vernacular for it is we call them buttons. And these are just places that are more sensitized than what you might expect. And um, sometimes buttons have history to them. So, if somebody in the past did something that kind of wounded you a little bit, uh, you bring that uh, raw nerve ending with you up here into the present. So if somebody does something up here in the present that looks, sounds, or smells enough like that old hurt place, then your your reaction to the current trigger will be out of proportion to the trigger. And, uh, you know, that's what we say, your button has got pushed, you know, it's a bigger than expected reaction. 
And then typically what happens is your reaction, whether it's the blow up or the shut up reaction, tends to push the other person's button and they react and then their reaction pushes your button and then you react and then yours pushes theirs. And so it's very natural to get caught in this, uh, this uh, cycle where what's going on in that relationship is it's all about button pushes and reactions. Mm-hmm. And it can happen like that over something seemingly inconsequential. That's kind of what you were describing, mm-hmm. you know, that you can get, people can have big arguments over piddly stuff, you know, because they've, they've pushed each other's buttons, they've reacted. And now what's going on in that relationship is all about, it's all fueled by these very primitive forces of button pushes and reactions. So where did these buttons come from? I mean, how would we, how would we be able to say, Hey, this is my button. How does someone figure that out? Yeah. Well, I I tell people, uh, if, if, if you want to know what your buttons are, get married. <laughs> Truth. Truth. <laughs> because that's how you know. And, and people can have places of sensitivity. And they, they don't even necessarily know what they are. But when they get into close relationships with somebody then, and their button gets pushed, then they start to have to ask these questions like, why did I react that way? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's that all about? And, um, and then it becomes clear to you. And, um, and that happens all the time that, you know, somebody maybe had, I mean, somebody was telling me one time that his dad always um, communicated to him that he didn't think he was very smart. Mm-hmm. And that, that was pretty wounding, but he didn't really think about that. But that was just back there in his head. Mm-hmm. And when he got married, uh, his wife thought he was really smart, but sometimes her tone of voice sounded to him like she thought he was stupid. Mm. And it, he would have a reaction to that statement that was a whole lot bigger than her statement. And, and so his button had just gotten pushed. And after he unpacked that for a little while, he started to understand. I know that you don't, you're not saying that I'm stupid, but when you use that tone of voice, what that did is it brought up that old hurt place where my dad always said that to me. And he, I think he did kind of think that. So the, the past was getting brought into the present. Do you see and that so, a lot? Do you feel like these buttons yeah. are always coming from the past, whether it's some type of formal relationship yeah. or it's just yeah. kind of how life has went like a button's always something that occurred once and is now yeah. coming back up. I, no, I, I think that that's one source of buttons that some of them have some history to them. Like, the example I just used, but sometimes people have buttons just because they're temperamentally different. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, a, a morning person can marry a night person and they can push each other's scheduling buttons all the mm-hmm. time. And it's not really related to anything that's got history to it, but it's just, a you know, they just have real strong preferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, a neat freak can marry a slob. You know, yeah. one person just, they're temperamentally wired that they really need domestic order. The other person just doesn't bother them. And so they can, they can push each other's buttons that really don't, they're not related to anything in their background or childhood. It's just how they're wired up here in the present. Yeah. And and what I'm hearing about that too, something that we talk about, you know, I talk a lot about is that, you know, our, our brain is always identifying value 
to things. Our brain is always yeah. going to attend. And so when we have these values, whether it's cleanliness or lack of care, or maybe don't, you know, yeah. I don't want these type of rules. It sounds like that could definitely be a button for you. And whether yeah. that's at work or whether that's at home, if that's something that's setting in there and that's something of high importance to you, yeah. you're going to find yourself to burn the resources to fight or flight or blow up or right. shut up. If you said just to kind yeah. of get that point across to obtain that value. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely hear yeah, that. that's right. And, and, and um, somebody might not even know that they're sensitized about something until they get up close to the full length mirror that they marry. Yeah. And it may not be marriage. It may be a roommate. It, it could be somebody you work with, but it's in, 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 in the relational context, mm -hmm. that's when you start to notice your, uh, yourself reacting to mm -hmm. things. And if you step back from it and try to get some insight into what just happened to you, a lot of times that's what you discover is yeah. I think I'm real sensitive in this area. And I don't, I don't know that I ever really thought about being sensitized about it until I was around somebody who uh, brushed up against that sensitivity. Yeah. In your opinion, kind of just continuing on this concept of bad conflict, what do you think the concept of like, social media and the internet has done for bad conflict because now you're in this place where you're in almost like these echo chambers at times or you're able yeah. to kind of do that what have you seen when it comes to like blowing up or shutting up being different in that world or is it almost the same well gosh how much time you got, <laughs> you got a lot. We, we could talk about that for a long yeah. time I, yeah i think uh one of the things that uh uh, as developed in the context of the social media uh, world in which we live is everything is instantaneous mm -hmm. and everything's uh, and it's a combination of things being instantaneous and anonymous. I think that's, yeah. that's a lethal combination because it used to be if somebody uh, uh, publicly ticked you off, you'd write a letter to the editor and, and you might take two or three days to craft that letter and you would say it just the way you want to say it. Mm -hmm. And then the editors would look at it and determine whether they were going to publish it or not. And then they publish it maybe a week later come out. So everything was just uh, inherently slow moving because of mm -hmm. the wheel, those wheels turn pretty mm -hmm. slow. Now, if somebody in public does something that takes you off, you just, you know, instantly, um, uh, make a comment and hit send, and now it's out for everyone to see or everybody that follows you to see. And and since it's largely anonymous, some people um, have Twitter handles that are um, pseudonyms, you know, so they're they're not even publicly saying who they are. And I think that kind of gives them this license, they think to be just as rude and as uh, unrestrained as their impulses tell them to be, which then triggers somebody else, somebody else's impulses, and then they fire back. So you can very quickly within a matter of seconds be involved in this uh, Twitter battle or Facebook battle mm -hmm. with people that some, in some cases you don't even know them. Yeah. And do you think that's something with that? So, you know, we talked about in all relationships, conflict is inevitable, but, you know, when you're with that human, you're one on one, especially in a marriage or you're in like a close knit, you know, cohort group, whatever, you're going to see your own flaws on another person. Yeah. But in these 
internet type things. You're in this very superficial relationship. You don't even know who this person is. Yeah. Do you think it's yeah. easier for bad conflict to persist with a, with no change because of that superficial relationship? I, I think so. And um, I've heard several people recently talking about one, one of the most destructive things that's happened in the last few years is when Twitter and Facebook invented the like buttons. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can make a statement, and if um, people in your tribe like what you've said, you might look down there and you've got 500 likes. And so it's, it's reinforcing. It, mm-hmm. it makes you feel like now I've got, uh, I'm part of a, a relational tribe of people who think like me. Mm-hmm. And that's empowering and it's invigorating and it's reinforcing to continue to do the same things. And so after a while, it's no longer about trying to reason with somebody and, and make a point. It's, it's to get um, to get likes. And, and very little of what happens in, on social media is about persuasion. It's about um, having the power to make a point. So, um yeah, we all want to be accepted by our tribe. And I think that that's something that you see. And, and that's something I never thought about until you were just talking about that. But just, you know, you see so many people, they have all these superficial relationships. You know, many people have like thousands of friends and all these things, but we see yeah. this perpetual bad conflict that just kind of yeah. goes on in that world, mm-hmm. which is somewhat different than what we see. Like, you're not, a lot of times you don't see perpetual bad conflict just persist in the work environment. Sooner or later, somebody yeah. leaves or it ends, yeah. um, or, you know, somebody who's going to fix it at some point but it can kind of go on there. So knowing that like bad conflict can go on, whether it's on that social media world, but also in the, you know, in the world of marriages and co-work, like what does that do to us to just kind of be in this perpetually bad conflict of trying to prove our own rightness or being triggered all day long? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll answer, I'll answer that two different ways. One is from the standpoint of a, let, let's say a marriage, you know, if people are caught up, in a relationship where bad conflict has become the standard operating procedure. Um, I think it negatively ad- impacts that relationship in at least four different ways. Now, one of one way is you don't, you don't solve anything. So problem comes up that needs resolution. Uh, you get caught in this cycle of reacting to each other's reactions. Mm-hmm. And when that conversation's over, that problem hadn't been solved. And so there's mm-hmm. no resolution. And when people don't solve things, they store things. And so it's like that, that issue with, uh, with this lack of resolution gets stored on your brain, in your brain somewhere. And it's got a negative charge to it. And then it's a, a wonderful occasion for old issues to show up in new relation or new, new conflicts. So, you know, that happens, you tuck it away. It's unresolved. Well, next week, tomorrow, two weeks from now, something else comes up and somebody brings the old issue off the shelf and, and plops it into the new argument. Hmm. So now you're having an argument about something new in two, three, four, 15 old things. Mm-hmm. And, and you, and you know, people say, we just go round and round and round. We never get any place. Well, I think that's what they're talking about is just, you know, that we don't, you don't get any place. Mm-hmm. And um, so then the, that conversation ends and, um, when things don't get resolved and like they need to be, what that does, I think it leads to the second effect, which is it starts to um, 
make that relationship feel really bad. And whatever warm feelings that you may have had earlier start to morph and they morph in a negative direction and they can become neutral for a while, but eventually they just become really, really uh, negative. And this is when people in my office will say things like, uh, we, uh, I, I, I love this person. I just don't like, them. Or, or they might say, uh, we love each other, but we're just not in love anymore. And so what they're saying is that the subjective feelings that attracted us to each other early on now have morphed in such a way that they, uh, now that the feelings are negative. And sometimes people will ask me the question, so once those feelings have gone away, how do you ever get them back? Mm. And that sounds like a question, but it really is more of a statement. You know, what, what they're really saying is you can't get those back. I mean, once they're gone, you can't get them back. Mm. So you don't solve anything. The feelings diminish. The third thing is, uh, is alienation. People will just become more and more alienated from each other. And I use a, a title and chapter in my book that I actually stole from somebody else's book. He calls it the dance of the porcupines. I didn't mm. give it. <laughs> uh, and what he's saying is people want to be close. So, and when they get in close to each other, they've got they've got this lack of resolution ability, and so they become like two porcupines with their quills protruding, mm. and um, and so they get stuck. And then another thing kicks in, which is our pain avoidance need, and so we back away to avoid the pain. But then you want to be close, so you come back in, you try it again, you get stuck, then you back away. So that becomes the dance of the porcupines. And what most people will end up doing eventually is they'll just settle in out here somewhere. The thought being, it's just easier. If we just keep our distance from each other, maybe we'll get along. But um, in that set of circumstances, getting along becomes uh, contingent with distance management. Mm -hmm. As long as we just avoid each other, do our own thing, don't bring up certain topics, maybe we'll get along. But it just perpetuates this kind of roommate relationship or people will say we're just not intimate anymore is that what you see in those marriages or those relationships so you're constantly bringing stuff in you know you have those relationships so that's another thing you're staying in this cycle and then it just does become that like you're just a roommate you're no longer having that intimacy solely because of that pain avoidance yet desire yeah. pain avoidance and desire that's right yeah man i tell people sometimes um this is something else I borrowed from somebody else years ago, but he said, troubled couples have three options. They can either bail out, stick it out, or work it out. And, you know, if you just look at the, at the uh, statistics, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of marriages in our culture end in divorce. So that would be the bailout group. Gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, they get married, but they, it doesn't last. And that's, that's somewhere around 50%. Of the remaining 50%, I don't know how those stats break down exactly, but the bigger swath of that remaining 50% are those that just stick it out. Um, they will have the same name when they die. Uh, they'll live under the same roof, but they're not close. And and they're just, it's kind of like a car hitting on two cylinders. I mean, it'll, it'll get you there. It's just not very pleasant ride and there are some there are some 
horrible sticking out arrangements. You wonder how in the world these people stay together. And there's some that are kind of tolerable. But I hear that from people all the time. They'll say, my parents are married. They've been married for 43 years. They're just not very close. And they just never deal with anything. They just kind of live in their own worlds. The, the smaller swath of that remaining 50% of people who work it out. And, and they, they actually um, go against their human nature tendencies to uh, blow up or shut up. And they actually find ways to work through issues to a place of common mutual agreement. And, and so they've worked it out. And, and what happens under those circumstances, people can actually be closer. The, the porcupines can relax their quills. And, and so my, my view is anytime you've got something that comes up that needs resolution and you can, it draws you closer together. Every time you need to do that, but you fail to do that or you can't, it pulls you apart. So I think there's a direct correlation between those things. Absolutely. So when it comes to these I guess you said it's a small group, which is kind of surprising and kind of unfortunate of, of the marriages that come out. What is it that they do differently that the others don't do? Is it that they, can they make bad conflict, good conflict? Uh, yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you, that's not a, whenever you go through a grocery store magazine rack or go, go past one of those and it, and it says, um, three ways to make a marriage work. They almost never talk about handling conflict better. That just, I guess that sounds unsexy and unromantic, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I'm, I'm just, I'm really convinced that um, that's actually what makes for a good uh, relationship. And, I, and I, I keep using marriage as an example, but I would say this is true for any relationships anywhere. That, that what makes for a good marriage or relationships is the ability to resolve differences. Um, and, I, and I tell people all the time, uh, issues don't split people up. It's their inability to resolve issues that splits them up. And the extent to which people have found ways to resolve their issues, they will, they're going to have a good relationship. And so uh, my view is that everybody does it the bad way. That, that is, that's 100% of us. We all start out doing that. But we can learn and develop the ability to, to do conflict the good way. We just have to be, uh, we have to, have to first of all know what to do and then be intentional about it. And, um, and I tell people all the time, conflict resolution is not hard. It's just not natural. And, and therefore it's hard. And Why so is it not natural. Why do you think that we as humans find ourselves like, you know, almost like bad conflict is more comfortable than good conflict. It, it just comes naturally to us. We don't have to, we've been practicing it since we were children. And um, there's a philosopher named Hannah Arendt who was, she escaped Nazi Germany and she spent her career here in Ivy League institutions in the United States. She spoke a lot about authoritarian regimes mm -hmm. and she made a statement one time. She said, um, Every generation is invaded by barbarians. We call them children. <laughs> and what you say it is, we all start out in this very barbaric state. And you don't practice that. It just comes with humanity. And what we spend the rest of our lives learning how to do is be civilized. You know, we, we develop 
um, civil ways of dealing with each other, but it doesn't come naturally to us. You know, what comes naturally to us is, is to be barbarians. So, um, so um, here's the other thing I've noticed is that most everybody has probably done it the, the good way on occasion, they, but they kind of stumbled into it and they resolved something, but they couldn't tell you, they couldn't begin to tell you how they did it. Uh, but they did it. And so one of the things I'm always trying to help couples with is to take what they've done accidentally and make it routine, you know, where they can do it on a regular basis. Yeah. So, um, so again, the steps involved are not that complicated, but, but we have to, uh, it, but it, but they're all counterintuitive. And if we can learn to do the counterintuitive thing rather than the natural intuitive thing, then, then we can actually make it work. Yeah. And I think, you know, you bring up such a great point when we think about that other 50 or that other part of the 50% to <laughs> just kind of stick it out and just kind of live in it. You know, you see that in so many contexts of, you know, the person who just goes to work every day and who's so miserable going to work, they feel so terrible. They just kind of stay in it for years and years and years, or they're in these friendships that aren't very healthy, but they keep giving in those friendships because they're just kind of stuck in it. And so it's interesting how we may find it very difficult to transition to good conflict. However, when we do, it makes life so much easier. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like it's so much more healthy. So when you think about how to, to transition out, how to transition bad conflict into good conflict, what are maybe some tips that people can do, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with your partner, that you can do to just be better at conflict? Um, what, one of the things I've been showing people in my office over the years is it's just a simple little diagram. I can just describe it and you can probably picture it, but it's like on the bottom, you got two people. And, on, and on, you got two sides. And on one side at the bottom are, is a circle called buttons. So these are buttons that can get pushed. Above the button is another circle representing our reactions. And they can be either fight or flight reactions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the same thing on the other side. So when a button gets pushed, you react. And that button tends to push the other person's button and they react. And that reaction pushes your button and you react. And so... That visual sometimes kind of helps people picture what's happening to them and it explains some about why they've gotten wrapped up in this conflict. And it's all about button pushes and reactions. And for years, I've been explaining that to people. And and when we get done, I'll say, can you relate to that? And and almost 100% of the time, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing for years. Mm. And I, I had I showed that to a guy one time that came into my office. He's kind of depressed. And the more we unpacked his story, I think the reason he was so depressed was because that was the nature of his relationship with his wife. And so when he went home at night, he had all that tension and all that distance. And I think it just had a depressing effect on him. And so we had talked for a while and I said, well, I'm going to show you something. And, and I showed him that diagram and I said, can you relate to that? And he looked at it and he said, my wife and I had been doing that right there for 12 years. Then he said, so um, where are the off ramps to that? Uh, and I, I thought that was a great yeah, question because yeah. you, know, you squinted your eyes. It kind of looked like an interstate cloverleaf, you know, that 
you get caught there's no no yeah. exit so you, you can go 400 miles and never get any place so what we do naturally i call that bad conflict and what we do naturally is bad conflict now if you want to do something different the alternative to that is is called good conflict um uh uh another term for that would be working it out you know um and that we've actually worked things out and there and there's some steps involved and and i, I i'm gonna try to sum this up real quickly because we could really uh dive deep into the weeds over this but i think one of the things that people need to do is narrow what they're trying to resolve down to one topic at a time easier said than done because if you've never really resolved anything then to bring up one subject is to bring up 15 other subjects so what you can end up doing is get getting caught in this um uh morass where you're talking about multiple topics simultaneously and you can't resolve multiple topics simultaneously you have to be able to single out one thing at a time it's easier said than done now let's say you've been able to do that then the next really important thing, and I think this, I can't, un, I can't overemphasize how important this is. Both sides need to understand with accuracy what the other side is saying and something about why that position is important to them. And what happens a lot of times is people misunderstand what the other person is saying or they accuse them of saying something that they're not, which only just fuels the reactions. So it's important to understand what they're saying and why it's important to them. And, and in order to do that, we have to use empathy. You know, where you, you kind of crawl into somebody's perspective and understand where they're coming from. If both people do that, what it does is it lowers the tension level. Mm-hmm. It, you're, not, you're not all the way over to the resolution of it yet, but at least it lowers the tensions enough that you can actually start working things through to uh, some resolution point. Um, So it's really important to be able to argue about one thing at a time to understand where each other are coming from. And presumably at this point, you still don't agree, but then you may still may not agree, but then, then you got to answer the next question, which is what's a way that we can move forward that we could both live with. Now, at that point, you got a number of solution options. You know, one of them is what we sometimes call the win-win resolution, you know, where if we do this, I get everything I want. And the other side says, yeah, me too. So we both win and we both feel really good about that solution. That's the most preferred resolution and everybody would prefer that one. Yeah. But sometimes you can't do that. So you go to the next most preferred option, which is we just sometimes call it the compromise, which is. If we do this, I don't get everything I want, but I get enough of it that I can live with it. And the other side says the same thing. So both sides give up a little bit in order to get most of what they want. It's called a, a good compromise solution. Um, the next one is sometimes you, you get stuck and you say, look, let's punch pause on this and come back to this later. And uh the solution that eludes us right now, maybe it will be clearer to us tomorrow. As long as you come back to it, then sometimes you have to do that. Um, there's a, there's a resolution that where sometimes what one person does is they say, I don't have to die on this hill. 
um, I can see how important this is to you. So I'm willing to lay aside my preferences and do it the way you want to do it. And I'll be okay with that. I really will. So one side defers to the wishes of the other. And sometimes that's a solution to the problem. So, uh, and that's okay as long as it's a mutually agreed upon resolution. Now there's a corrupted version of that where somebody says, fine, let's do it your way. Now, happy. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's not really a resolution. That's, uh, that, that's a, we're running up the white flag that leads to uh, resentment and scorekeeping. Um, a, a common way that one gets expressed is in the phrase, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Ooh. Yeah. So what this guy is saying is, that kind of sounds noble on mm-hmm. the surface, but a 16th of an inch below the surface, what he's really saying is, Give her what she wants and she'll stop her yammering. You know, just, just give her what she wants. Yeah. But, but what he's thinking internally is, buddy, next time it's my turn. So, you know, at least it's scorekeeping. So that's not really a resolution. But the last and probably the least preferred resolution is um, the no way resolution. And what that means is, we have talked about this so many times that we're probably not going to resolve it if we keep talking about it. So why don't we just leave it right there and focus on the parts of our relationship where we get along just fine and leave that one there and not make that area of disagreement central to our relationship. And sometimes that's, that's called agreeing to disagree. Well, it's almost the easiest too, right? Because it, it doesn't take a lot of work. You're just kind of like, oh, I'm going to put this in the back and kind of move on. Yeah. But it's going to come back. And, and I think that's the corrupted version of it. Sometimes it's a conflict avoidance maneuver, you know, mm-hmm. where people say, uh, it's just not worth it. You know, let's, let's just agree to disagree. Put a period there and they move on, but they really hadn't resolved anything. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it is a resolution to say, we love each other, but we care more about our relationship than we care about our, our adherence to this position. Mm-hmm. So you, you keep your view, I'll keep mine, but let's get along despite our differences. Yeah. And so and that, that's healthy. Um, years ago, Billy Graham, back when he was still living, he, had a, he was on Oprah Winfrey's show one day. And um, it's back when his health was still good and his mm-hmm. wife was still living. It's probably early 90s, but she said, let me ask you something. Um, what is the secret of your long, successful marriage? And he said, well, Ruth and I are happily incompatible. <laughs> and she said, well, you're going to have to define that. And he says, well, what I mean by that is we are not the same person. Uh, we, we approach just about everything in life differently. We're wired differently. We think differently. He said, because of that, we've had a lot of clashes over the years, but we're happy with how we're happy with the outcome of those clashes. And so therefore, that's why I say we are happily incompatible and, you know, leave it to Billy Graham to say something. But but I I think that's if I can, I would I would suggest that every married couple cross stitch that and put it up above their fireplace. I would agree with that. Well, I think in all in all relationships it's that way. I mean, being able to say that we're we're different and being able to appreciate that. And you know, whether you're in 
you know, we are in your family and you're having that parental um, child issue. You're having, you know, brother, sister issue. You're having coworker issue. I mean, all of that's very applicable being able to say that you're still your own human. I can't make you me. You can't make me you. Yeah. Let's just agree to disagree and be friends. And um, what I just got through describing rarely, if ever happens on social media, you know, so (laughs) draw your battle lines and, so you got to narrow it to one thing at a time. You got to uh, make sure that you empathize with the other person's position, even though you don't agree. Mm-hmm. Try to come up with a, a way to move forward that comes the closest to representing the interest of both sides. Mm-hmm. But you're still not through because then you got to take whatever solution op- option you come up with there and put it into specific behavioral terms. Mm-hmm. Who does what when? And I've seen people sometimes come up with pretty good solutions, but they never make a plan for how they're going to implement it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it never happens. And then they, they think it doesn't do us any good to talk about mm-hmm. things because nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the last step that some people leave out is we have to answer the question, what if this doesn't work? I mean, what if our solution option that sounds so good on paper doesn't quite work out this way in reality? We might have to tweak it and adjust it, but we're going to do that together. So let's let's tweak it and adjust it until we get it working. Mm-hmm. So it's a grossly oversimplified description of what's involved in, in good conflict. But I think those are the things that people need to do to get man. Conflict is circular. Mm-hmm. You, you just travel in a circle. You don't get anywhere. Good conflict is linear. Mm-hmm. You know, you can start here work through some steps, get to the other side and have a mutually agreed upon resolution. And, and you call that good conflict or working things out. I think that's very powerful. How much do you think, I know uh, we're getting close to time, but how much do you think that like baggage impacts that empathy concept? You know, so you know, we're talking about to really empathize with the human and to be with this, whether it is your partner, or it's not a partner, like this humility concept of being able to be humble to take ownership of your stuff and let down that baggage. Because many times in conflict, there's a lot of wounds. There's a lot of hurting. So how do you manage that to to kind of create this um, good conflict when there's so much emotion driven? Well, I think you have to have one eyeball on the um, powerful forces of bad conflict. It's all driven by these button pushes and reactions. Mm -hmm. And then your other eyeball on the, on the steps that are involved in good conflict. And at any point during the process of trying to do it the right way, there's always the potential to fall back into that old trap mm-hmm. because of the emotions involved. I mean, you, you and I are talking about this right now in the ivory tower. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when people are, are on down on the ground, it's, it's not as easy as, as I'm sketching it out. But again, it's it's not difficult because it's so complicated. It's just difficult because of our human nature forces. Well, there's so much emotions driven in it. You know, yeah. when you when you have anger and hurt and sadness and yeah. embarrassment, shame and guilt and all the things yeah. that happen in these relationships, it's really hard to see life, you know, through yeah. a very clean, clean lens. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I, I see that a lot in my practice, too, where, you know, you have these relationships that are just really unhealthy and they find themselves in it. And so you come up with these ways to solve a problem, but they still can't let that baggage down yet. They still haven't found that way to see to the other side. And it makes it a lot easier to give up because you have so much emotional pain with it. 
it, there's just so much emotion involved. And, and I think people can um, uh, you know what if you if you do nothing to counter your intuitive impulses, bad conflict is what you'll do. Mm-hmm. You can if you follow your inclinations and um, frankly, when it gets down to it, your, your practice of doing it the better way, eventually that can become second nature to you. But it takes time and repetition and the, and seeing the payoff of doing it the right way. And, and good conflict does have a payoff. Um, if, if you've done it the good way enough times, you like the outcome. I mean, it, it really helps you to resolve things. And, it, and, and there's a lot of power in unresolved issues. There's a lot of power in resolved issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just takes a weight off. Mm-hmm. You know, when people say, once the feelings have gone, how do you ever get those back? I think you can get them back mm-hmm. by shifting from bad conflict to good conflict. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's not you know quick and automatic, but what it does, it puts upward pressure on those cold feelings. So they start to warm up. Well, what I hear in that, too, is no matter what kind of conflict you're in or, you know, yeah, we're in bad conflict specifically, no matter what the problem is, no matter what you have to do, it's going to take work. You know, yeah. you know what, you know, and that's, that's really important. You know, that desire to want to be close to each other. You know, so many times you hear from people like, oh, marriage shouldn't be this hard or this relationship yeah. shouldn't be this hard. If it was easy, that means we're yeah. meant to be together. But what I'm hearing yeah. from you is it's kind of opposite. It's saying that if we're yeah. meant to be together, we're going to have to work this thing out. If it was easy, think, then right. we're probably, probably doing it wrong. That's exactly right. I mean, people have this, and it's sort of a popular notion. You can find many, many places out there in, in culture that if you find the right person, it's just going to work. Yeah. And I just think that's bull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But, but because if you, you know, people say, make a lot of this idea of finding your soulmate. And the idea is if you find your soulmate, it'll just work. And look at, and it is, you don't find a soulmate, you make a soulmate. Mm. And, and you develop one by resolving your differences along the way. And ev- again, every time you do that, it, it, it builds some connective tissue. And after a while, it's so valuable to be in a relationship with somebody where you can do that. You're likely to start using phrases like, this is my soulmate. Yeah. And I think that happens in all relationships. You know, if you do that work, this is healthy and you're going to feel healthy. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's a really powerful place to be. So yeah. as you kind of, you know, we've talked a lot about the different things you can do, the conflict, the bad conflict, the good conflict. For anyone out there who's kind of in this place, let's say they are in bad conflict right now and they realize it. What is the one thing they need to start with? What's the first thing they need to do, whether their partner's on board or not? What do they need to do? Um, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I can probably think of 15 different places to start. So I'm not sure what the, what's at the top of the list. Um, I, I think probably the, if you can mutually embrace the idea that um, the fact that we're having problems does not mean that we're not uh, the right people for each other. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're having probably problems probably means that we're, trying to be close to each other and the problems are indicative of the fact that we're getting closer because the closer you get, the more likely it is that the problems are going to be there. 
That's the bad news. The good news is if you develop the ability to work through those issues and resolve those problems, you keep getting closer. Yeah. And I, I, I think that um, that is a foreign concept to most people. Um, when, whenever I see a list of what, what you need to do to make your relationship work, it, it's just very rare that I see uh, resolving conflict well anywhere on that list. I would agree uh, with that. I would agree with that. And it's unfortunate because see. you bring up a great point is that, you know, being able to just recognize that this is us getting closer together. And that's not just with a marriage. That's, you know, with the parent who's got the teenage kid who's just, they're really struggling that you guys trying to get closer together or the kid that's in that thing where you feel like your mom and dad's all over you. That's you guys trying to get closer together or co-work and all yeah. these different things. And, and that, that conflict has a purpose. Yeah. And I think there's something very powerful in that because yeah. when we can say but, but, that this is important and it's not just an attack on me, now this has a, a reason yeah. for me to keep working on it. Yeah. My daughter had a roommate in college that, uh, you know, there are five of them that lived together. Well, guess oh what? Gosh. They had problems. So <laughs> Shocking. My daughter sat down <clears throat> and she grew up in our household. So, you know, one day she sat down with her friend and said, I, I think there's something we need to kind of work out. And her friend said, I have to just let you know that this is really uncomfortable for me. She said, uh, my dad used to tell us when we were growing up, if you have a conflict with someone, don't say anything about it. Don't address it. And in about two weeks, they'll forget about it. And you never have to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. what she was taught in her home. Yeah. So she admitted how uncomfortable it was to actually address some things. Yeah. But but then whatever it was, they talked it through and they're, they're, that was years ago. They're still really, really close friends because I think they developed the ability to, to resolve yeah. things. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you know, that you kind of talked about today is being able to identify, am I in good conflict or am I bad conflict? Is Are my buttons being pushed and what are my buttons? I think that's something that yeah. we all can get some help with. And then once we've identified that and we identify we're in that bad conflict, identifying that problem, working through it, empathizing with it, all those things. I think right. that's really important. So yeah. Dr. Godwin, thank you so much for having us. I know you are a very busy person. you got a lot going on. Um, what's new? Anything coming up for you? Anything new on the horizon for people problems? Uh, well, I, I, my book originally came out in 2008, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to write another one someday. And uh, here we are at 22, and I still haven't done that. But I actually have been working on one. And um, so we'll see. I, I, my, my goal at this point is to write it before I die. I, I just don't want it to come out posthumously. You know, so <laughs> yeah, that, that's my objective. So, so I'm, I'm, and, it, and it still has to do with a lot of this stuff, but something we didn't get to that maybe I can come back some other time that there are some people that aren't going to work with you to resolve conflict. I, I definitely want to come back for the unreasonable. Yeah. I would love to have you back on yeah. because I think that in itself brings on a whole new gamut of things. It, it uh, does. It's a whole new subject. Yeah. And uh, there are some people that are just, no matter what you do, you can do it all the right ways. They're just not going to work with you to mm -hmm. resolve things. And the second book I'm working on has to do with, um, uh, what happens when that, that occurs collectively. And yeah. I think a lot of what's happening in our society right now is people are, are into these collective unreasonable tribes Ooh. where they have 
absolutely no interest in working th- things through. They just they just want a war with each other about who's going to be right. Well, there's so much, you know, acceptance in your tribe and you you have that pushing you. We all want to fill in our tribe. And then we have these echo chambers we can get in. And so then I get into my echo chamber right. with my tribe. And of course, right. I'm going to be unreasonable. Why is your view different yeah. than all, you know, 100 yeah. people in my group? Yeah. Man, yeah. That, that would be a great book. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just hope it comes out sometime in the next 30 years. So well, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be looking for it. Uh, we'll, we'll also put a link to your website on, on the podcast. Yeah. And so definitely everyone check that out as well as the, the people right. problems book. I know you have a couple other eBooks out there as well. Yeah. So to check those out, it's all on, all on the website. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll put that on. So last thing I'll, I'll try to ask people, Alan, what is one thing you're doing for your mental health right now that you feel like is uh, very fueling to you? Um. Every weekend, uh, there's a walking trail in where I live. And if you go from one end to the other, it's six miles. And so um, what I do is it, uh, I walk that usually about three times every weekend. And I plug in audible books and I listen to books. And so it exercises my brain and my body at the same time. Yeah. And, and if I'm listening to a good book, I'm not thinking about how my how bad my body's hurting. And so, uh, <laughs> so it really kills two birds with one stone. So um, I'm, 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 it's a-